The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. 2.34 on the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News. So as I told you off the top of today's show, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation released its 2018 Federal Naughty and Nice list. It highlights the people and institutions in Ottawa who have either been costing or saving us taxpayers money. To find out who made what list, I'm joined now by Aaron Woodrick, the uh, Canadian Taxpayers Federation Director. Aaron, thanks very much for doing this. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Well, actually, I should thank you for replying to me, I believe, on Christmas Eve, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> we never rest here at the CTF, put it that way. <laughs> Clearly not. All right, so was uh, are these ranked in order in any way of uh, the, you know, the biggest breaches or the worst offenders, or are they random? No, no, these are random. I mean, this is really just a sort of tongue-in-cheek list. We sort of look back over the year and, and try and see the, you know, the people and institutions in Ottawa that we think should be called out for not being very nice to taxpayers and, and those that are maybe the unsung heroes that don't get enough credit as well. Oh, I want to make sure we have time for them because oftentimes we think they don't exist. So let's start with the Canadian Revenue Agency. How did they make the naughty list? Well, look, it's fair to say, Andrew, this is probably an agency that would be on most taxpayers' naughty list most of the time. The taxman takes a lot of our paycheck. But this year in particular, they got caught, uh, actually by the Auditor General, not applying their own rules consistently. So they were found to essentially be, you know, giving breaks to, in some cases, wealthy folks and bigger businesses and not everyone else. We think that's totally unfair. Um, And they also got caught forcing taxpayers to pay for other agencies' mistakes. So, for example, if someone got overpaid uh, with an EI payment, the agency would make them pay back the full amount and the tax on top of that. So we thought that deserved a, a pretty big bow humbug. Wow. So, I mean, are they following legal requirements in doing so, or is this just something they took on themselves? Yeah, this is policy that they had instituted. In the latter case, they, they have seemed to have adjusted it. In the case they got caught, they sort of said, sorry, we won't do that again. But, you know, it just goes to show that it's important that, uh, that all Canadians uh, keep an eye on these institutions because sometimes they can sort of step over the line. It's the, you know what, I just hate those brown envelopes. <laughs> Aaron, you know, you know what I mean. Like, you go to your mailbox, you pull out the uh, the mail flyer, flyer, the brown trend. envelope. Yeah, it's like, oh my god, this won't be good news. Uh, how did uh, Environment Minister Catherine McKenna make it? Well, look, uh, anyone who follows the work we do, we're not big fans of the carbon tax. Uh, Minister McKenna is the is the face and voice of the carbon tax. I think, frankly, she's not very good at selling her message. She she comes across as somewhat condescending and sort of telling Canadians to they should should be quiet and like it. Uh, so we decided to give her, we didn't want to use the word that might upset her, so we called it a, a lump of non-renewable combustible <laughs> sedimentary rock. <laughs> nice one. Now that should play well to our audience here in Alberta. Uh, Finance Minister Bill Morneau? Yeah, look, we've, we've been after the minister for some time. This government clearly promised to get back to balance next year. They are nowhere near it. They've run three big deficits in a row. Uh, the economy is, is booming in most of the country, and they have all kinds of extra money, but they can't seem to balance. So we think uh, he has not, he, he did not hold, hold, hold the line on spending, so we put him on the naughty list for that. You know, I have to ask, while uh, we're still on the naughty list, how many, uh, do you try and limit it to a certain number, or um, do you sort of go... Do you suspect that, you know, the Canadian Revenue Agency would be... I mean, how do you put your list together? Oh, it's it's hard. I'm not going to lie. We have a lot of candidates, and we just want to keep the list manageable because if we really wanted to to call out all the players in Ottawa that are caught, the naughty list would be a lot longer than the nice list in Ottawa, (laughs) put it that way. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made the list. 
Yeah, look, the buck is supposed to stop with him, but of course the problem, as I just mentioned with the deficit, is the buck never seems to stop. And everything from the carbon taxes to the budget deficit, the other big thing this year that really caught a lot of people's attention was that, that disastrous trip to India uh, where he, he spent a lot of money, wore a lot of costumes. We didn't really see the taxpayer value in that trip. And I think even the prime minister himself uh, in his year-end interviews admitted that was not a great trip. Do you know it's funny, uh, Aaron, because and, and here in Alberta, and I know you're out uh, in eastern Canada, and, and Albertans are often seen by eastern Canadians as, uh, you know, simply... You know, we're just conservatives out here, but our listening audience has a fair distribution of uh, all three major parties. Of and, course. You know, and when we bring up uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, of course, somebody will get on our taxi line and say we're we're dumping on the Prime Minister. But I, I wanted to cycle back to what you said because I try and stay as impartial as I can. It's a talk show, um, but that India trip, my God, I don't remember what time of year that was, but you had to have started making your list right then because I just watched that trip and thought, oh my God, that is the worst slow motion car wreck I've ever seen. Yeah, it, it was a remarkable thing. And, you know, we, we of course, try and focus on the taxpayer angle because they're spending, but I think a lot of people were just sort of scratching their heads saying, what is the point of this trip? Why is he wearing, you know, if he'd done it once or something, it might have been a nice sort of gesture. But to wear these different outfits every day, started to, people started to kind of roll their eyes, I think. Yeah, and, you know, that's the funny thing. And I'm not a politician, nor do I play one on TV. But I, I do think oftentimes that prime ministers, presidents, they take trips all the time. And people often don't question the cost of those trips. But if you bring it to the eye of the public through the back door, through the fact that everyone's talking about the outfits, I think it's a matter of, you know, time before somebody goes, hey, wait a minute, how much did this trip cost us? Yeah, no no question. And, you know, we we all recognize that it's going to cost money. Prime ministers have to travel. It's, it's not cheap to do that. But when you start taking trips, which draw a lot of negative attention and people start digging into the details, a lot of people start asking questions about, was this really worth the money or not? Absolutely. So now we want to balance the conversation a little bit. I said it was a naughty and nice list. So who are some of the ones that made the nice list? Yeah, well, we can talk about there's two uh, independent institutions in Ottawa that are very important that we put on the nice list, the Auditor General and the Parliamentary Budget Office. Now, the Auditor General, people might be familiar with, they get the they get the right to dig around into government and find examples of waste. There's a couple of big ones this year, the Phoenix payroll system that pays government employees. It's cost, it's run a billion dollars over budget, Andrew. So, uh, and there's still, there are still uh, employees in Ottawa that are not getting paid several years later. And then this, the Canada Revenue Agency, there's been a number of uh, audits they've done where they found just giant waste giving uh, CRA giving bad information out to taxpayers um, so they do really important work and sometimes they don't get enough credit so we wanted to put them on the other is the parliamentary budget office they're essentially an, an independent costing office so you know governments often promise the moon with new programs and legislations but but uh, the PBO goes in and finds out the real cost of things so everything from the cost of welcoming refugees to you know uh, changes in tax policy they come up with objective numbers that are very important to help us sort of sort out what's a good idea and what's not. You mentioned as well in your nice list the Global Affairs Canada whistleblower. What's that about? Yeah, so uh, we dug up a couple stories this summer of some really bad waste at Global Affairs. Uh, one case was at the Mexico City Embassy. They they spent $24,000 on sea cushions, 86 sea cushions, and uh, they also spent more than hundred grand on, on crystal stemware. Um, and we checked the price on the stemware, Andrew. It was more than twice what Tiffany crystal costs. So some pretty luxurious items they were spending. And we only got this information because there's an employee inside Global Affairs that saw this 
and contacted us and tipped us off on how to how to access this through information laws. So we just wanted to hold this person up as an example. There are good people working in government, honest people that don't like seeing waste, and we understand they're afraid of being exposed and, and don't want to lose their job. But you know, we we tell them uh, you can contact us and we'll we'll dig it up and we'll we'll wear it. Wow! Did you say seat cushions? Seat eighty six seat cushions cost twenty four thousand dollars. <laughs> I take it there's no IKEA in Mexico. Yeah, well, that was that was it. I I, I don't think taxpayers should take that one sitting down. <laughs> nice. Uh, hey, listen, before I let you go, because I don't want to run out of time. Not uh, what I booked you to talk about, because I did want to talk about this naughty and night list, a nice list. But just given what your organization does, uh, I wondered if I could get your take on the announcement. Um, with regard to the $1.6 billion to provide job support for Alberta uh, that was announced just when was that last week. What's your take on that? Yeah, look, you know, believe it or not, I think we're sort of along the same lines as Premier Notley with this one. It's a Band-Aid solution. Uh, you know, the government has basically, what they've done in other parts of the country, Andrew, is they throw money at the problem. The problem in Alberta is not that people don't have a product. They have the product. They just can't get it to market. They need pipelines. So uh, I think it was a sort of a tenured move, um, you know, people view it as sort of a bailout rather than they, they want they want to hand up they don't want to hand out that's yeah. that sort, of, sort of our take and you know i know you, you listen i don't represent all of the west and you don't represent all of the east so uh, i i don't think we understand out here why you don't understand that <laughs> I mean, as you say, I may not be the rep representative person because we're pretty we're pretty keen on on building the pipeline. And frankly, Andrew, we were not we were not happy about taxpayers having to buy that pipeline. We think that the government painted itself into a corner with its other decisions, and and taxpayers had to buy that pipeline. Uh, but uh, you know, it didn't have to be this way. And this government, I think, frankly, needs to figure things out quickly because uh, even from here, we can see the the anger, the legitimate anger on the ground in Alberta. And I think it's very disconcerting for all of us. Absolutely. Aaron uh, Woodrick, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation Director, really appreciate your time this afternoon. As I say, thank you again for getting back to me when I know you and I should have both been sitting back drinking eggnog, but I had a show to get together. I, I really enjoyed this. We'll have to do it again. Yes, anytime, Andrew. You got it. All right, as I said off the top of the show, and I don't think anyone's going to give me an argument, it was quite a year for news stories 2018, many of them not great news stories. Uh, Jamie Twill, the morning news anchor at our sister station, AM640 in Toronto, did a fantastic job of putting together a four-part package that looked back on the stories that made headlines in Canada in 2018. He starts with the story that affected us all. Give, us a, give it a listen. We'll begin with the story of the Humboldt Broncos. Well, the RCMP and emergency crews were on the scene of a very serious bus accident. The Humboldt Broncos junior hockey team crashed on its way to a game. Well, I'm standing here on Highway 35 just north. And now when I try to describe or I think back on on the previous jobs and stories, there's always before Humboldt and then there's after Humboldt. One ambulance goes flying by and Okay, one ambulance, that's not so bad. And then the second one goes flying by, and the third one goes flying by, and you can see the stars coming. The ambulances coming back, some had flashing lights and some didn't. And that was what was a little concerning to me. That got me thinking uh, pretty deeply about what we were about to show up to. I remember we got out and it was freezing, pitch black and absolutely freezing up there. It was frigid. The air smelled like fuel. I remember mud being everywhere. It was just a scene that I never want to experience again. The most salient image for me was 
a slap shot DVD, a classic hockey movie, a mainstay for any team that's on the road. And the DVD was laying in the mud. You can still see it. And it was broken in half. The broadcast team for Global News, we it wasn't just from Saskatoon. It was Saskatoon, Regina, Winnipeg, Calgary, and Edmonton. So I immediately started looking for the connection to Regina, uh, and that's when I came across Adam Harold, who was the youngest member of the Broncos. He played for the Pat Canadians, the, the local AAA hockey team here. We walked into Adam's bedroom, and the first thing that stood out to me was this perfectly gift-wrapped uh, wakeboard. And it was just there on the bed, waiting for him to come home because his birthday was in four days. And it was this picture of a life that was so young and so ready to be lived that it just ended at the snap of a finger. They weren't during the interviews. It was never those moments when you sat down with a camera in somebody's face and had them be raw and, and talk about their emotions. It was the raw and the realness outside of that, sitting and talking to that gentleman where he turned and just said, can I hug you? And we both started bawling. Something that I will absolutely never forget is the sound of the kids crying at that arena that day. And then also went the memorial, the utter silence in the arena as thousands of people stood together hoping to come together in some sense of the word and try to make sense of this tragedy. I've covered tragedies before. This was so much more than a tragedy. Today and for every day forward, we are all humble Broncos, and we will be forever humble Broncos strong. We had almost 700,000 people at one point watching that, and the reaction and the response that we had from our online audience was, thank you for telling this story in a compassionate manner without sensationalizing it. And to me, that meant a lot. The Broncos who survived this crash, some of them that I spoke with are among the most remarkable people I've ever met. The likes of Caleb Dahlgren. This is a young man who was involved in the crash, was injured in the crash. He doesn't remember a great deal of his recovery in hospital, but he still smiles. Everybody on that bus, I want to do it for them because they're not here right now, and I am, so I need to do it for them. Some Broncos face a longer road to recovery. You can look at players like Lane Matichuk. This is a young man who spent a great deal of time in hospital. He had one of the longest hospital stays out of any of them. Uh, uh, uh. You're getting stronger. Yeah, he's getting stronger. One truly amazing story that emerged from this tragedy is that of Lethbridge's Logan Boulay. The 21-year-old defenseman signed his organ donor card just weeks before the collision, and that decision allowed him to save six other lives. His selfless act made national headlines, and soon people right across the country were signing their cards too. At last count, the Logan Boulay effect has seen more than 100 thousand Canadians become organ donors all because of Logan's gift. I got to listen to Logan's heart and now someone else has his awesome heart in their body and and it was beating really strong so I'm so happy for someone. It was so impactful then and even now that in the midst of such an awful tragedy a story like this emerged that's uniting people coast to coast in what truly is a life-saving effort.
As a journalist, this is the type of story that you never want to cover, but as soon as it happens, you know that there is a duty to cover it. It's definitely close to me and it will stay with me for a very long time. I don't think, Humboldt has never left. It's something I don't think I'll ever forget. From the prairies, we move now to the heart of Toronto's Greek town. Late in July, gunshots shattering the tranquility of a summer night. Here now is the story of Danforth Strong. A beloved and bustling part of the city, now the focus of a deadly mass shooting investigation. We have some late-breaking developments to tell you about. Something had happened, something big had happened. Shots fired on this busy street, iconic street, another iconic street, the Danforth. So many officers and flashing lights and there was, there was people everywhere. You're winding down your day and then this happens and you just gotta gear up. Move back everybody, everybody move back. I mean when it happens like a kilometer from your house, kilometer and a half, it's a, you know, it's a bit different. You sort of had that feeling in your, in your chest, like something, something really wrong had happened. And at that point, we just knew that there'd been this mass shooting. A shooting rampage on the Danforth near Logan has injured at least 10 people, including possibly a child. Everyone, everyone had seen something. There were so many witnesses. Um, and I met up with my camera and we started talking to people. We started kind of snaking our way in. And then you're talking to people and they're saying roughly where it happened and you're kind of trying to piece it together. Listening to the, the, the interviews with people who knew the victims, it was just heartbreaking to watch. And I just saw him execute a lady. I don't know, I just saw bodies going down and I just got shoved to the ground. And he went boom, 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 three times. And imagine a father being in hospital and then taken to his daughter's bedside as, as she died. A 10-year-old girl and then the 18-year-old who's just starting adulthood, who has such promise, and you just think of how fragile life is. I remember talking to Jerry Pinkson, and he had been a patron here at Seven Numbers Restaurant with his girlfriend, Danielle, and we met with him a couple of days after the shooting, and Jerry broke my heart. I just ducked down, and then there was like six or eight bullets, and I heard, I heard Danielle scream. I just became really emotional, and. Started, started just getting feeling of grief and guilt. It was the biggest scale of a, of a manhunt that I've ever seen. When there's a tragedy like this, people are searching for answers and you're trying your best to provide anything. Over the course of the next couple of days, people were really looking for a place to come together as a community, people from across the GTA, and they ended up coming here to this fountain. What hits me so much about it now, looking back, is the resilience. The resilience of Torontonians. We were shaken, we were confused, we were angry, but at the same time, we showed strength, we showed resilience, we showed compassion. Every year, politics dominates the headlines, but the most surprising political story of 2018 comes to us from the country's east coast. 
So we planned for an hour-long election show, but the question of who would be New Brunswick's next premier wasn't decided in an hour. It wasn't decided that night. In fact, it wouldn't be decided for more than a month. Let's go to Morgan Campbell, who is at Liberal headquarters this evening in Grand And Morgan, what's it feeling like in the room there tonight? That's when those numbers started to slowly come in that uh, would show that the Green Party, the Conservatives, and the People's Alliance, a group that had never had an elected member, were starting to get uh, not just one seat, but multiple seats. The room uh, instantly changed. Oh, these are the ridings where the third parties are leading or elected. Even after four hours on the air, we couldn't make a call about who the government was going to be because it was simply too close to call. We needed to wait for the speeches to see who would concede. No sign of Blaine Higgs is right. All eyes are, are on the door waiting for Gallant to, to show up. So as you can imagine, it was uh, it was quite an exciting yet uh, jaw-dropping experience. Let's have a look now at where the parties stand at this moment, tied as we mentioned at 21 and 21. So there were so many interesting storylines to follow that night. New Brunswickers made history in a number of different ways. They elected the most third party candidates to the legislature and they elected the first minority government in almost a century. You know this isn't a very decisive win obviously the votes are very split. They voted for change not the status quo. In the days that followed the election, there were a lot of twists and turns and bends in the road. All eyes really were on New Brunswick, this little province that had quite the political, uh, it was really facing a political debacle. After a non-confidence vote, Brian Gallant's Liberals were defeated and he's now resigning as party leader. Meanwhile, PC leader Blaine Higgs was sworn in as Premier. I, Blaine Higgs, do swear that I will And the story doesn't end there. We're keeping a very close eye on the legislature to see how long this minority government will stay in power. Stay with us. Our look back at 2018 continues after this short break. I'm your host, Jamie Tawil. As you just heard, that was Jamie Tawil from AM640 in Toronto with uh, part one of a four-part series on the news headlines that made us all stop uh, in 2018. I will give you parts two, three, and four as the afternoon continues. The 6.30 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad.